Ecclesiastes 3, 9 to 15. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor nothing taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks that what has been driven away. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe seated. Well, um, thank you to Patty for reading our scripture. Patty Morris is one of our missionaries. Uh, she's actually visiting from Lyon, France today. I'm sure I didn't pronounce it correct, but I tried not to call it Lyon. Um, and uh, she'll be visiting with the Missions Commission later. If you'd like to hear about her ministry as one of our church's missionaries, uh, church planning in France, uh, she would love to share with you as well. I'm grateful for your partnership and grateful that you read in English because she hadn't brought an English Bible with her. She just had her French one. And I said, well, that will sound beautiful, but probably not fly. <laughs> All right. Um, today, uh, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, we've been going through the Bible this year uh, from January to December, from Genesis to Revelation, in honor of our church's 75th anniversary as a church, we, we wanted to go all the way through the whole Bible. And so each week, I've asked you guys to read a section of the scripture on your own. Each week in your bulletin, you get a, a, a sheet with what that reading is. And you'll notice on that sheet, in addition to the sort of longer reading, each week I asked you to read a chapter of one of the wisdom books of Proverbs and now of Ecclesiastes. So we're taking a break from going through the prophets to talk about what can we learn from the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is one of the uh, favorite books of a lot of people of the Old Testament because it presents such an honest portrayal and timeless portrayal of human experience. But it's not an easy portrayal. I had one older man in our church this week tell me, it is a book written by older men for younger men that younger men are going to ignore. And I thought that was a, an honest portrayal of what Ecclesiastes often is like. Because it tells us hard truths about how quickly time passes that we sometimes don't appreciate until some life goes by. A few years ago, I became a dad for the first time. Um, and my wife's now uh, eight months pregnant with our, our third little one. And uh, when I first became a dad, I had older man after older man come up to me and essentially grab me by the shoulders, sometimes literally, sometimes metaphorically, and say, cherish every minute. It goes by so fast. And uh, I remember, you know, two months in, three months in, it sure didn't seem like it was going by fast. <laughs> the, day, the days were very long. Uh, but the years are short, and it does go by so fast. And, and so I, I try to take in that counsel from, from older brothers, and I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cherish every minute. I'm going to turn off the TV and take the kids to the park. I'm going to leave work early so I can be home for dinner. I'm going to climb on the ground and I'm going to, I'm going to color and play with them. And I'm going to soak up every minute. And you know what happened? It still slipped through my hands, right? It still goes by quickly. And this isn't just a thing for parents. You guys know this uh, just in general with life. I mean, how many of you have looked in the, window, in the mirror and said, 
where did that person come from? Right? Like, how did this happen so quickly? I still feel like I'm 25 or 35. How is this going by so fast? And the illusion that we tell each other is just enjoy every minute or just grab hold every minute as if we can grab hold of the smoke that is our life or our parenting or our kids' lives. That's where Ecclesiastes tells us the truth about the human experience. As he says at the beginning of his book, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That, that word vanity in Hebrew is the word hevel, and it literally means smoke or vapor or mist. Some translations call it meaninglessness. Some call it vanity, some call it smoke, but it's, it's this important word for Ecclesiastes because it's used throughout the book. Hevel, this life is fleeting and it goes so quickly and there is nothing we can do to grab hold of it. Now, aren't you glad you came to church for this <laughs> wonderfully depressing book? No one really knows who wrote Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's the first verse says it's written by someone who's introduced as Koholith, or the assembler, the collector. Maybe it's the collector of ideas. So some translations call him the preacher or the teacher. Some call him the professor. But all of them get across this idea that it's this anonymous figure who was at some point apparently the king in Jerusalem who's pointing us to the futility of where so much of us find meaning in life. So we're going to look at this sermon in two parts. The first part is about the problem of meaninglessness, and the second part will be the, this response to meaninglessness. So let's, let's get into the passage today. Uh, Ecclesiastes 1, verse 2 and 3. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? This is the theme of Ecclesiastes. From the, perspective, from the human perspective, from the perspective under the sun, as best as we can tell, without God's perspective, life seems meaningless. Life is a fading vapor that evaporates in a moment. And Koholith, the, the preacher, says that we notice this most when we're successful. We notice this most when we try to grab hold of the brass ring. When things go well, we notice the evaporation of life in its most clear sense. When we're successful, it confronts us with a problem of meaninglessness. When we triumph at wisdom or in our careers or in our toil, we end up thirstier than before. Like the person who drank the proverbial salt water, we realize that this does not last and this does not satisfy. And Koholith describes in the first couple chapters his own experience with this, how he tried to pursue wisdom, how he tried to pursue uh, pleasure, and how he tried to su pursue a successful career, and how all of them left him feeling meaningless. The first one's wisdom. He says in chapter 1, verse 17, I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is but striving after the wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Think about this. Why would we try to find meaning in a wisdom? Like why, why would we try to do that? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Right? Sometimes we try to uh, pursue meaning in knowing ourselves. We try to have wisdom about the soul. And we go to therapy, or we explore our past, or we go on Ancestry.com, or we try to go on 23andMe, and we try to figure out who we are. Right? We try to use the different tools of human wisdom to figure out what we are and what our life is about. Or we try to uh, develop social wisdom. We think, you know, if I can just figure out the right way to interact with my peers at school, with my peers at work, 
If I can just develop social graces and social skills, if I can figure out the funniest thing to say or the most insightful thing to say or the kindest thing to say, then everyone will like me and then my life will have meaning. Or we try to develop wisdom um, in terms of uh, reading everything. You know, we just want to be the most well-informed person. We want to always be able to have an answer for people. So we try to read everything we can on politics or on sports or on pop culture so we always have a take and we always have an insight. And we think if we're just wise, if we can just know, then we'll have meaning in our life. Gosh, how many different ways do we try to pursue wisdom to be accepted and meaningful in the eyes of other people? I, I, I've got the dumbest one. You guys can try to surpass this, but you're not going to succeed. I try to predict the future about football. I play this thing called fantasy football where you <laughs> guess what's going to happen in the future like a fool. <laughs> and then I get mad when I'm wrong about the future. Right? Of course, wisdom fades, right? There's no meaning in that. As, the, um, as Cahola says, it brings much vexation, right? It, it vexes us because we know that we can never get to the end of it. We can never collect the wisdom that we need in order to be thought of as meaningful and wise. And even if we are for a moment, it fades. I, I had a friend uh, down at UC Irvine who was a professor of computer science down there, a brilliant guy and a very thoughtful uh, Christian man. And he said, you know, when I got a bachelor's degree, I thought I knew something. And then I went and got a master's degree, and I realized I don't know anything, but I assumed other people knew something. And then I went and got a PhD, and I realized I don't know anything, but neither does anybody else. <laughs> because with much learning comes much vexation. And, and even, if, even if you're successful, right, even after you chase after the wind and you catch it, and you become known as the person who is wise, who is thoughtful, who is insightful. It goes between your fingers, and a generation later, you're thought of as a fool. Right? How many of the most thoughtful people from 1919 do you know? Like, who were the thought leaders in 1919? And honestly, if you read some of their takes now, you'd think, ugh, that's deplorable. Right? Like, we, people that were thought of as the most wise people in the culture 100 years ago are now thought of as regressive, closed-minded, and dangerous to society. Sometimes we respond with anger in that way. Right? Think about when your wisdom is challenged, when someone rolls their eyes at something you say, and they say, oh my gosh, that's so 2017. I can't believe you still believe that. And you get angry, right, because your wisdom is challenged. It's chasing after the wind. And even if we're super successful, and we write the most wise and thoughtful thing, the book of Ecclesiastes, and 3,000 years later, people are still talking about it, and it's included in the canon of Scripture, it's anonymous, right? Even Kaholath's name is forgotten. Increasing knowledge also just increases sorrow. The more we know, the more we realize we don't know, and the more sadness it brings us about the world. So Kaholath gives up on wisdom as a source of meaning in life, and he says, I'm going to just go after pleasure. You know, if, if, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. Um, that's from Cheryl Crow, and that's showing my age. All right. <laughs> a song older than the youth group, which makes me sad. <laughs> All right, uh, in Ecclesiastes 2, I, in Ecclesiastes 2, 1 and 2, it's... Did the joke just get to that side of the room, Joey? <laughs> yeah. No, you're just laughing at me. Okay, cool. I appreciate that. That's all right. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. This whole sermon is a vapor. It's going out in the wind. I'm, I'll just be gone. All right. Um, no, but, but Kohola says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot for pleasure. That'll be the meaning I'll find in life. And so he says in his heart, in verse 1, 
Come now, I'll test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it's madness. And of pleasure, what use is it? Koholoth, uh, who has the resources of a king, some people think it was Solomon, one of the richest men who ever lived. And if that's the case, or even if it's not, he has the resources to pursue pleasure beyond what any of us have experienced. And he says that this is vanity, that, that it, it leaves in a moment. And you know that to be intuitively true, right? That if you align your life around just seeking pleasure, just seeking to make yourself happy, you end up feeling empty. Best case scenario, it lasts for a moment. It lasts for a vacation. It lasts for a high. It lasts for a night. But it always is fleeting, and it's gone. And there's a desire and a, a need to seek after further pleasure to try to replace it. Now, now most of us probably wouldn't say that we live our lives for pleasure. Ho- hopefully, that, that's not how most of us are orienting our life. But I think as Christians, sometimes we're tempted to be formed by the world into saying that should be the goal for other people's lives. And so we say things to other people like, hey, as long as you're happy, then I'm happy. As if that should be the goal of our kids' lives or our friends' lives as well. As long as, as, as you're happy, then I'm happy. As long as you're not in pain, then I'm happy. No, pleasure doesn't bring meaning to life, Koholith says. It's just a vapor. It it evaporates. There has to be something more solid that we can live for. And so Koholith turns to his work, to his career. He says in Ecclesiastes 2.11, Then I considered all that my hands had done and all the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Koholith looks at his career, which his career, by the way, is being a king of a country. And he realizes this is not going to last. This is not where I can find meaning. I wonder if you've had that experience with your career, where you've said, I, I turned to this vocation as a, as a nurse, as a teacher, as a fireman, as, as a, a business executive, as a janitor, wh- whatever. Um, and I thought I would find meaning here. And I find some satisfaction. Like, I, I enjoy it. There's, there's stuff that's valuable. But it doesn't define me, and it certainly doesn't last. There's a huge temptation in this, in what I do for a living, um, to be a pastor and to find our meaning and identity in this. And sometimes I go into my office and I think, someday, unless the Lord comes again or I do such a bad job, this church has to close down, like someone else is going to be in this office. This was Don's office for 28 years. This was Steve's office for six years. And, and now it's mine for a time. But there's going to be a day when I'm going to retire or leave or, or whatever. And um, someone else will take over. And they'll go in and they'll say, this is ugly. Who painted this, right? <laughs> Who thought these books were worth learning from? These are so 2019, right? <laughs> I can't believe he would think these are insightful. And I'll come back to visit and someone will greet me at the door and say, hey, are you a first-time visitor? <laughs> <laughs> Vanity, right? It's a, 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 a vapor that leaves between our fingers. Someone else will live in your home one day. Someone else will take over your career, your vocation, your residency. It'll slip through your fingers. And there is no amount of self-awareness, no amount of wisdom, no amount of toil that can prevent that. And, you know, these are the the ways that Koholith identifies as the futility of life. But there's others in our other narratives in our culture, right? If I could just be beautiful, right? If I could just be youthful and beautiful, then I'll have meaning. People will find me desirable. They'll want to be my friend. They'll want to be my lover. If I could just be beautiful. And Koholis would say, that's vanity. 
of vanities, right? That's going to slip between your fingers. Or, you know, if, if I could just find romance, right? Like if I could just find love, then I'll have meaning in my life. Then I will grow old with someone and that'll be the meaning that I can hold on to. Except it'll expire one day. One day, either Becca or I will bury the other one in the ground and our love will have slipped through our fingers. It'll be vanity of vanities. So what do we do with that truth? Ecclesiastes says that they're all meaningless. They're all fade away. What do we do with that? And, and why? Why is this in the Bible? I mean, this sounds like Nietzsche. This sounds like nihilism. Like, everything is meaningless, so just despair, right? <laughs> That's why I wore a dark shirt today. <laughs> what, what do we do with that truth as Christians? And, and why does Koholith want us to hear this? Well, I, I don't think it's to discourage us. I think it's to cause us to look at the reality of God. Right? Remember, Koholith's picture, what he's describing is life under the sun. From a human perspective, what I see is that everything slips away. But I also see that that points to a desire for something that's stable, something that's lasting, something that I can put my meaning in. Here's how he describes it in Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, so, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Koholith makes a, such an important observation here, and I, I don't want you guys to miss this, that as humans, we're capable of recognizing beauty and eternity. Why are we capable of those things if they're just going to slip through our hands? Why do we have this longing for meaning if we can't find anything to satisfy in this world? <coughs> Why are we trying to find something permanent when everything that we recognize in the created world is impermanent? C.S. Lewis talks about this when he describes the evidence for the existence of God. He says, you know, the fact that we long for something transcendent should point us to a hunger that's real. In the same way that thirst points us to the existence of water and hunger points us to the existence of food. The fact that we long for beauty, that we long for eternity, should be a pointer to the reality that they exist. God has made everything beautiful in its time and he's made you capable of recognizing that beauty. He's put eternity into your heart but then he's also given you the recognition that you're not eternal, nor is this world. He's made me very thirsty right now. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry. So why does Koholith tell us all these despairing things? He wants us to confront the reality of despair. <coughs> I'm sorry, guys. He wants us to confront the reality of despair that, that we don't engage in continuing to pretend that everything is meaningful when it's not. We, that we don't give our lives over to things that will not satisfy us and will not sustain us. He wants, like, like I want for you, not to give your life over to toil or pleasure or wisdom only to find at the end of it, end of it that it's meaningless, that it's slipped through your fingers. Um, and, and we recognize this so much in people younger than us. We look at people, hopefully with empathy, who are younger than us or in a, a, a stage of life before us, and we say, oh, I wish you would lighten up. Like, you know, as a, as a middle schooler, maybe you, you look at six-year-olds and seven-year-olds who are really stressed about what it's like to go to first or second grade and to be gone from mom and dad all day, and you say, oh, guys, I wish you wouldn't worry about that. Like, if you're an especially empathetic 13-year-old, you say, like... <laughs> 
Like, I, I wish you wouldn't worry so much. Like, this is, this is not that hard. And then maybe as a, as a college student, you look at a middle schooler who's so worried about what people think of them, who's so worried about whether they'll fit in. And as an especially empathetic 19-year-old, you're like, oh, I wish you would not miss out on your youth spending so much time pretending to be somebody that you're not just to get other middle schoolers to like you. And then maybe as a 25-year-old or 30-year-old, you look at a, a college student who is so stressed about figuring out what they're going to do for their career and what they're going to do for their life that they're missing out on the years of college. And you say, oh, I wish you wouldn't miss out on this time of life because you're worried about things that aren't truly important. And then maybe as a 40-year-old, 45-year-old, you look back on people in their mid-20s who are so worried about finding the one or figuring out uh, how they're going to pay off their student loans or some of the, the challenges of dating in our culture today. And you say, oh, I wish you wouldn't worry so much about that. I, I wish you would let go of these things that aren't going to be problems for you five years from now. And then maybe as a 60-year-old, you look at the 40-year-old and you say, like, oh, I wish you would enjoy this time with young kids at home. Or I wish you would enjoy this time of freedom where you can travel. Or maybe as an 80-year-old, you look at the 60-year-old and you say, oh, I wish you would enjoy your body while it's still working so well. <laughs> that came out weird. I, I wish you wouldn't worry so much, right? And, and it, it goes for every stage. Like, I like the first laugh, but the second laugh felt hurtful. <laughs> now, now my, my point is, here's my point, here's my point, uh, is that when, when we look at other people, sometimes we can have empathy for their challenges and also a recognition that the things that they're finding meaning in really aren't that meaningful. But we make this mistaken assumption that in our stage of life, in our posture, that the things that we, the, the circumstances of our lives are not like a vapor, that they're not going to slip through our fingers. And Kaholath looks at us from the sidelines and says, I've been down the end of all of these roads, and on their own, they're all going to slip through your fingers. As he says in Ecclesiastes 1.14, I have seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all of it is vanity and striving after the wind. Under the sun, from human perspective, life without God, it's all racing against nothing. Kohola says this, I think, to provoke us to look to God for meaning. And, and when we look at Ecclesiastes in the context of the whole of Scripture, right, because Scripture is always the best commentary on Scripture, so when we look at, at the New Testament especially, we see that there is a breaking through of this cycle, that from above the sun rather than under the sun, Jesus comes and he breaks through the cycle of monotony that Koholith has observed. And he says uh, in, Genesis, in John 1, 1 to 14, that, when, that Jesus is the fullness of God, that, that he has come in order to show what God is like, to break the cycle that we've been part of. As it says in Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. When the fullness of this cycle of vanity had been completed, God sent forth his son to break that cycle so that we could find true meaning. And the result, as Joey mentioned earlier, is that everything we do for him truly does last and have value. As 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know, you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, I don't want you to take away from this. Like, does this mean that nothing we do in life matters except for church stuff? No, not at all. Right? Like, I'm not saying that. You know, and, and the inverse is true. I, I think sometimes pastors can be a little punitive and say that everything you do in the church 
counts beyond anything you do in the world. No, it means that we can find meaning in the things of this life, but only in their secondary roles, that they can't be a primary goal of our life. You know, toil and pleasure and wisdom can have value, but only as secondary things, not as the primary thing in our life. So um, I like ketchup. Do you guys like ketchup? Anyone here like ketchup? No, no one likes ketchup? <laughs> All right, you guys are just still laughing at me. Okay, great. Um, now, I like ketchup. I have never had a bowl of ketchup. Right? Ketchup is always a secondary thing. If I were to go to my very pregnant wife, who has weird cravings sometimes, and I were to say, hey, do you want ketchup for dinner? She would say, no, of course not. Like, but if I were to say, hey, do you want cheeseburger? Do you want french fries? Do you want ribs? Uh, do you want hot dogs? She would say yes to all of those. And um, <laughs> I would say, I'm sorry, I would say yes to all of those. <laughs> and, and I would put ketchup on all of them, right? Now, do I want ketchup for dinner? Only as a secondary thing, not as a primary thing. I, I wanted, it says in the notes, I want to say just because. Or, or to use a different example, like think about a car, right? Like, are windshield wipers important on your car? Uh, sure. I mean, in other parts of the country, yes. And here, once a year, they're important. But they don't make your car go, right? They're, they're not the, the engine that drives the car. They're only of secondary importance. As Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and behold, all these things will be added to you. We need to navigate this problem of meaning, meaninglessness in our life, but it doesn't mean that we can't find secondary meanings for things that are important. In fact, that's Ecclesiastes' prescription. In Ecclesiastes 3.12, it says that we should be grateful for the good things even though they are temporary. Ecclesiastes 3.12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they shall live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil, for that is God's gift to man. This is an odd verse to find because we just read two chapters saying wisdom is like a mist. Pleasure is like a mist. Uh, toil is like a mist. It's, it's all meaningless and vanity. And then in chapter three, Koloth says the best thing is if you can have toil and pleasure and, uh, and wisdom. That, that's the best thing you can do. And we said, well, Koholith, didn't you say those were all meaningless? Well, they're meaningless as our primary aim. And they only find their meaning when they're put in their proper perspective underneath the lordship of God. Be joyful, do good, eat and drink and take pleasure. These can't be what you live for. They'll crush you if that's what you live for. But they can be secondary goods to recognize the hand of God. As C.S. Lewis said, uh, aim, at, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. Our hope... Our only hope, according to Ecclesiastes, is to find meaning in God, the only one who is not fleeting. As he says at the end of the book, the end of all the matter, after all has been heard, is to fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The only thing that truly lasts is our relationship with God. The only thing that will truly matter about you a thousand years from now or ten thousand years from now is what life with God is like. And Koholith, at this point, that's all he can say, right? That's all he knows at this point in salvation history. But as Christians, we see how Koholith points us to an even deeper source of meaning, to Jesus Christ. You know, Koholith is the, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem, who says, when I look at all that the world offers, I see that it's vanity, that it's a vapor, that it's a mist. But Koholith points us to a greater king of David, a greater 
uh, one who has been sent not just to point out the vanity of life, but to provide true meaning for life. Kohlis says, when I look at the world, it's a cycle, an endless cycle of repetition where nothing ever seems to make progress. And then Jesus comes and he says, but there is true progress when God inbreaks into the world. Kohlis says, I look at from under the sun and I see there is no hope for man. And Jesus says, but I don't come from under the sun. I come sent from the Father, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Kohlis says that all of life is meaningless. It's hevel. And Jesus says, that is why you should give up your life for my sake, so that you might find it. Kohola says that everything in this life will be gone one day. And Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you that will last for eternity. Kohola says that there's nothing in this life worth pursuing or giving our lives to. And Jesus says, I am. We look at Jesus and we see the answer to the questions Ecclesiastes poses. Not in contradiction to it, but to fulfill it and to point us to the hope that we have in Christ. A couple questions for you to pray about this week in light of Ecclesiastes. First off, when's the time you were disappointed? When's the time that you achieved something meaningful to you and the result was salt water? Where you just felt disappointment, like, this is what I ran all this d- distance for? What did you do with that? Did you just redouble your efforts? Because we certainly know that happens in careers and in romance and like, you know, if I just win one more time, if I just succeed next time, it'll be different. Or did you turn to God in that disappointment? Secondly, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that he has set eternity in your hearts. Maybe take some time with God. Where do I notice eternity in my heart and the hearts of the people around me? How do I see that I'm made for more than life under the sun? And then lastly, uh, what do you need to change in your search for meaning? You know, all of us are meaning-searching beings. Like, we're we're all looking for meaning. As you look at how you've uh, tried to identify meaning in your life in the last year, last couple years, what needs to shift in light of what Scripture teaches? All right, let's take some time to, to pray and then we'll sing one final song together. God, I'm grateful for my brothers and sisters here um, who are doing meaningful work, for the teachers who are going back to school this week, uh, for those who are uh, laboring in private industry and, and public industry who are helping us to develop a community and a society. Um, thank you for their toil. But God, help them and help me see that our toil is always fleeting in this life. God, thank you for the wisdom of people in this room, the way that they have sought to expand human knowledge and sought to understand themselves and understand people around them. Thank you for wisdom. But God, help us to see that our wisdom is always fleeting. God, thank you for the pleasures you provide, even the pleasures that we'll experience today, the pleasures of life at the beach, pleasures of rest, pleasures of food and drink. God, thank you for those. But help us to remember that those things are fleeting as well. God, would you give us all here a deep sense of longing for meaning, a deep sense of eternity, and that we find it in Jesus Christ. Amen.